How are you coping with this time of dislocated reality during the coronavirus event? Uh, we're living in a time right now of dislocation. We're dislocated from each other. We're dislocated from our friends, our family, our church, our coworkers. Dislocated from that uh, summer vacation we were going to take that went bye-bye. We're dislocated from our masks, our six feet of social distancing, our uh, Zoom video phone calls. We're looking around at our culture and seeing a culture of dislocation. We see the economy plummeting while the stock market is skyrocketing. We see the NBA getting ready to uh, restart their season, not in packed stadiums, but in a bubble in Orlando, Florida. We see Disney World reopening this weekend that is supposed to be the happiest place on earth, and yet it has the potential to be a super spreader of a deadly pandemic. We're living in a time where reality is, is really dislocated. And what this has done is it has put the church in an environment of spiritual dislocation. We have a situation where many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ in the church have become hearers of the word and not doers of the word. Uh, we listen to sermons. Uh, our lives don't feel like we're changed. Uh, we, uh, some of us have become uh, Sunday morning connoisseurs where we're checking out a different church online every week or several churches per week. And uh, we're really not accountable to put into place that which the truth that we're hearing to uh, become doers of it. And some of us, we've decided not to become hearers at all. This might be uh, the first Sunday service that you have uh, watched in a month or maybe two months. And if that's you, we welcome you back. But we have created, uh, we're in a situation right now where we're hearers and not doers. And the result of that is that we are struggling, many of us, with a loss in our identity in Christ. Uh, we're living in a time of dislocated spirituality, and in a sense, that is a good thing. In the words of the Apostle Peter, he said, remember, Christians, you are foreigners. You are exiles in this world, and uh, you are participating in the divine nature of God through Jesus Christ. And through, there is a sense that we are to be dislocated because our home is not this world. But the Apostle James said that in diaspora, the church can easily be tossed to and fro like the waves of the ocean and blown about by the wind. And the result is that spiritually we can become spiritually double-minded people, spiritually unstable people. And so these apostles warned us of these things. And I wonder, um, church, when you look in the mirror, what kind of spiritual character are you seeing today? Uh, I know many of us at City Bible Church are just just struggling right now with our identity in Christ and just living out being a faithful follower. We're uh, falling into areas of spiritual idleness. We're succumbing to times of uh, fits of, of rage and anger against other people. Others of us were, um, cannot seem to overcome the, uh, our addiction to our lust in various forms online. And uh, others of us were struggling with bowing down and idolizing money. And there are a host of other things so many of us in the church are struggling with, with our identity in Christ. And I think uh, we have forgotten, if maybe temporarily, 
our identity at, at, to follow Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. And he has given us the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of his word, and his presence in our life uh, to glorify our Father and to conform to his character. And sometimes that is so easy in a time of dislocation and diaspora to, um, to see that as a distant memory from a church from a way long gone past of um, seemingly a lifetime ago. We've been in a series the past five months called The Church as Diaspora. And we've been looking at the teachings of the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter. As the Apostle James wrote to the 12 tribes of the diaspora, the Apostle Peter wrote to um, the exiles who um, were in diaspora. And uh, these Christians that were hearing these letters uh, needed this kind of encouragement, just like we do here today in the 21st century. And so we're going to take a look at one of the teachings of the Apostle James and what it means to be hearers as well as doers of the Word of God. The Apostle James wrote to um, the churches that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, and they were struggling with being hearers, not just hearers, but being doers of the Word of God, and they were struggling with their identity in Christ, uh, which would have made sense because Jewish, uh, James primarily wrote to the Jewish believers who uh, had come from a Jewish background. Uh, the Apostle James wrote this epistle. Um, James, it was uh, probably the earliest epistle that we have in the New Testament, written around the mid to late 40s AD. And so this would have been about, there was a span of about 450 years from the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, to the ministry of Jesus. And then about 15 years later, the writing of this epistle, about 450 years where the Jewish culture had no new revelation. And uh, they might have heard the scriptures, but largely their spirituality uh, was replaced by ritual, religious ritual, or extra, extra biblical teachings. They would have, um, during that 450 year span, uh, gone to feasts and festivals in Jerusalem thinking and, and sacrificing animals, thinking that that would have been their spiritual duty. They would have um, been um, following the Pharisees' laws, the extra-biblical laws, over 600 laws that the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the scribes uh, kind of wrote as interpretations of the scriptures, but then they would have obeyed those maybe then more so than the scriptures. And so the Jewish Christians came out of a culture, as James is writing to them, where they had come to Christ, but the Jewish culture for many centuries had largely been uh, predicated on the idea of being hearers of the law or hearers of tradition and, and practicing ritualistic religion rather than really obeying the Old Testament law and then through Christ, um, his words and the teachings of the apostles. And this would have resulted in James's audience to a loss of their identity in Christ. They were struggling. James says that um, the believers that he was writing to were going through various trials and, um, and temptations to evil and how they spoke to one another in terms of their doubting God, in terms of giving into their flesh, in terms of uh, how they treated the poor or um, having disunity amongst themselves. And uh, they were struggling with going back to their old life before Christ. And James is encouraging them. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to uh, turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And James writes this, he says, 
But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And I want to take us through uh, this passage because I just think it's so important to, to encourage us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, and uh, reminding us of our identity uh, without Christ as well as our identity with Christ. And so let's take a look at what James is saying in verses 22 through 24. James starts off by saying, don't be just hearers of the word. Um, I, I think we have experience, uh, just normal experience, with being hearers of the words of men, but not doers of the words of men. Um, at my home, uh, you know, I, I seem to have plenty of time to spend with my family now. We're all around each other all day long. And um, almost every day, I'm reminding my children, um, did you floss your teeth? Did you brush your teeth? We went to the dentist the other day, and um, uh, two of my kids get a lot of cavities. They, they have my teeth on my side of the family, um, I grew up with eating a lot of sweets that was primarily through my mom. I have a mouthful of cavities and fillings. And so I kind of pass that along to my kids. And um, Keen has Lorraine's uh, side of the family's teeth, which are really good. But Darcy and Ethan kind of have my side, so they get a lot of cavities. And so we went to the dentist uh, a week or two ago, and, um, and one of them has to get some fillings. And, and, um, and so I've been reminding them, you know, did you brush? Did you floss this morning and, and at night? And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I'd imagine that they're listening to Daddy and saying, you know, I, we're hearing you, we're hearing you. And sometimes we do it, but sometimes we don't. And we all have experience of that with the words of men. Sometimes we listen, sometimes we don't. Now that's just kind of a, a, a regular example, but it can get very serious. I have um, a childhood friend who, um, whose older brother just passed away about a week and a half ago. And um, I kind of grew up with uh, my friend as well as his older brother. And I was just shocked. My friend called me about an hour after his um, older brother died. And he had been, my friend said that he had been diagnosed with coronavirus. And uh, my friend had told his brother, don't go out, don't go out. And then uh, my friend said, his brother just kind of ignored him. Yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. But he would still go out and put himself in risky situations. Well, he got the coronavirus. And then um, a couple days after he learned he was positive, he had a stroke and a, um, and, and a cardiac arrest, is what my friend told me. And that's a very serious situation where you can hear the words of men, but not do it. What James is talking about here is a similar principle, but with more weight. James is saying that when it comes to God's words, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer because, um, because all the other uh, figures in the New Testament say the same thing. Uh, Jesus gave a parable. He called, it was called, uh, we call it the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And in this parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7, he said, um, a wise man hears Jesus, who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice is like a man who built his life on the foundation, on a rock a solid foundation, and when he built his house and the, the wind and the rains of God's judgment come to blow down that house, his house will stand. But Jesus said, 
There's other types of people who will listen to my words, will not put them into practice, and they will build their house of their life on a foundation of sand. And when the wind and the rains of God's judgment come, uh, their house falls and the crash is mighty. Paul said that when you're just a hearer of uh, the words of God, when you're just a studier of the words of God, but not a doer, he said that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The Apostle John said that um, you, if you say that you know him, you've got to keep his commandments. But if you say that you know him and you don't keep his commandments, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. The Apostle James is summarizing all of uh, what Jesus and Paul and John said when he says in um, verse 23 through 24, if you're just a hearer of the word, you're deceiving yourselves. And it's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then he turns away. And as soon as he turns away from that mirror, he forgets what he looks like. Now, uh, I think it's really important that uh, when you look in the mirror, you know, sometimes when you're older, you don't want to remember what you look like. You don't want to look real close to see the wrinkles or the gray hairs or, um, you know, your body doesn't quite look the way it used to. And um, you actually want to forget, but the mirror doesn't lie. And just like the mirror doesn't lie, um, God's word is a mirror to us. And it doesn't lie, it reveals to us what is going on in our soul. And so um, I want to focus on this just for a moment. What James is saying in verse 22 through 24, he is saying, we don't want to be just hearers of the word, because if you're just hearers of the word, you'll deceive yourself, and then you'll forget who you are without Christ. That is essentially his meaning there. And I think that the way it works is something like this. When you hear the word of God, the uh, writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is active, it's living, it's spiritually alive. And when you hear it, it's able to discern your thoughts. It's able to discern the motivations of your heart and lay it bare before you and before God. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that when we hear the word of God, because it's spiritually alive, it's able to, um, to discern who we are and point that back to us. And I think that's what happens when we hear the word of God. It's spiritually alive and something happens where it confronts us or encourages us. And then after that, when we hear it, if we're not believers, many of us choose to believe and we choose to place our trust in the message of what the word of God is saying. It's like in the, James said in um, James chapter 1, he said that the word of God is something that um, we receive with meekness and the implanted word that's able to save our souls. And so the word of God is active and living. When we are in unbelief, we choose to believe and it saves our souls. And then after that, it's like the apostle Peter said, uh, the word of God, as we obey, hear it and do it, it sanctifies us. Peter said that our souls are purified through the word of God for a sincere and brotherly love. But when James says, when you hear the word of God um, and you don't do it, you are deceived. Uh, Peter would say that we become ineffective and unfruitful in our lives. Um, he said that in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. And so I think that's how the word of God works. 
we hear it, it's spiritually alive. We choose to um, trust in the gospel message and we choose to follow it. And as we do, we are sanctified. As we choose not to, uh, we become uh, ineffective and unfruitful in our spiritual walks. And James reminds us that we can easily be deceived. We can be deceived when we just become hearers. And through that, then we forget our identity in Christ. You know, uh, I think what I've come to realize is that not everyone cares that they're deceived. Not everyone cares to, that they will forget who they are without Christ. Um, that is what is happening spiritually when we simply hear the word of God and don't do it. But not everyone cares about that. At what point do you actually care that you're living in a deception? At what point do you actually care that um, your life actually needs Christ and without applying God's word, um, you can forget who you are without Christ? At what point do you care? Um, and I think it's really hard because for unbelievers, uh, they've got so much uh, against them that tells them you don't have to care. Uh, I have a friend, a childhood friend that I've been talking to recently, and uh, he looks at his life. He, he has heard the word of God plenty. He kind of grew up in the church. He left the church maybe about uh, 25, 30 years ago. Um, and he visits church maybe uh, once or twice a year. Sometimes he comes and visits our church. And I think for him, um, he looks at his life and he says, you know, I do a lot of good. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good father. And uh, I, 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 I'm a coach to these young kids at the school. And uh, they thank me. They come back and thank me like five, ten years later th saying, thanks, coach. I know you're really hard on me, but it's really helped me to be disciplined. And, and he has said to me many times over the years that, um, he's doing, he takes pride in doing good work in these kids' life. And so he, you can be an unbeliever. You can hear the word of God from time to time. But I think it's so hard because we can be de deceived by the world and thinking, you know, as long as I try and do good in my family life and try as I do good in my career and do good in my relationships, it really doesn't matter who I am without Christ because I'm just doing my best. And I think it's hard sometimes for an unbeliever to care when they place their faith in their own goodness. And even for believers, at what point do you care that you're living a deceived life and um, forgetting who you are without Christ when you just become a hearer of the word and not just a doer of the word? I, during this coronavirus event, I have heard of um, professing believers who continue in their addiction to pornography who um, will claim to profess to follow Christ, but at the same time claim to identify as um, a practicing member of the LGBTQIA community, who um, are professing believers. I, I know some people who um, are in the process of leaving the Christian faith, who are in the process of um, declaring that they want their marriage to be over, who um, have actually taken actions to leave their very life. Uh, I know of um, a woman who uh, took her own life about a month ago because um, she had forgotten her identity in Christ. And I think what you recognize is that God cannot get you to care. He can't get you 
to become a doer of his word. You can become a hearer of his word, but he cannot get you to be a doer of his word in a practical sense. This is something you have to choose to do. You can choose to turn towards God and say, God, let me respond to the truth that you are giving to me. And as I do that, you will bless, you will strengthen me. You um, will give to more to those who are faithful. And you can just start at this very moment with what you know to be true. Uh, people ask me, they say, well, uh, what's the most important thing to obey in the Bible? And um, I, I say to them, well, you know, you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. But after that, you know, what do you need to learn? The most important thing that God wants you to do is the next thing that God wants you to do. The most important thing that God wants you to learn is the next thing that God wants you to learn. In other words, um, there are commands that God has already given to you. And we're living in disobedience to them. And some of us, we want to learn and learn and learn and learn more. Or we feel like we know all these things about Christianity already, but we're not faithful with the things that are, have already been declared to us. And so the most important thing that God wants you to do as a hearer of the word is what he has already revealed to you. What is the area of your life that God has already revealed to you that uh, you need to take a step of faith and just say, Lord, I'm going to obey in this one area. It's the most important thing is the next thing, the thing that God has already revealed to you. Let's skip down to verse 25 now. And he says, um, James says, I want you to be a doer of the word. And he says that he basically wants you to recover your identity in Christ. He says, the person who is a doer of the word looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, verse 25, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. And those who act on what they know, what they hear, they are blessed. What is James saying here? He is saying in contrast to the person who simply hears the word, is deceived because they look in the mirror, they leave, and they forget who they are without Christ. The person who hears the word and does the word, that person who looks into the perfect law, the law that gives liberty, when he says that phrase, the perfect law, the law that gives liberty, and he perseveres, he's talking about the person who focuses on Christ. Because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 7, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill the law. And so what James is saying is when you focus on Christ and when you focus on the words of the Lord through the word of God, you will be blessed in what you do. Um, and this is really one of the signs of Christian maturity. I, I think um, I, I really... I really have two main definitions of Christian maturity, and it's not necessarily how long you've gone to church or uh, how many ministries you served in or how, how strong your spiritual gifting is or uh, how much money you give to the church or how many um, uh, friends you have in the church. I mean, there's, there's all these or how many degrees you have in terms or, or don't have in terms of uh, biblical knowledge. Those are all helpful and all good signs of good fruit. Uh, but I think I've come to the place where I really look at Christian maturity primarily in two ways. Uh, number one, which is how do you follow Jesus when you're suffering? When you're going through various trials and temptations, the kind that James wrote to. Uh, because I think it's easy to follow Jesus when everything's going well. But when they're suffering, whether it's persecution for your faith, 
whether it's physical health, whether it's, um, uh, you know, consequences, the Lord's disciplining you uh, in a certain way for um, your own missteps, whatever that might be, there's different kinds of suffering. Maybe it's uh, suffering other people have thrust upon you. How do you react? Do you leave the Lord? Do you try and work it out on your own? Or do you trust in him and continue to follow him even when it's difficult? No, no one does it perfectly. But I think that's one of the definitions of what I look for in terms of Christian maturity. How does the follower of Christ respond during times of trial and suffering or even great temptation? And secondly, I think that specifically relates to this passage as well uh, in terms of Christian maturity is how long does it take you to obey God's word from the time you hear it to the time you do it? I think spiritual maturity can also be gauged by uh, the gap time between how long it takes you to obey from the time you hear God's word to the time you obey it. And the longer that gap time is, the less spiritually mature you are. The shorter that gap time is, the more spiritually mature you are. And that's what Jesus was, right? That's what Jesus did. When he heard a word from his father, when he knew what his father wanted in terms of his work here on this earth, he immediately did it. But that's not always us. You know, some, some of you, you're, you're better than I am. Like when you read a scripture and uh, it convicts you or encourages you, you just immediately obey it. And you're very spiritually mature in that way because God says it, you hear it, and then you do it. For others of us, maybe like myself, sometimes, especially in areas that are difficult for me to give up or struggle with, it takes me a little bit longer. You know, I have to think about, did God really mean that? Did he really say that? Um, is there another interpretation to this passage? Uh, maybe I have to uh, sit in judgment over it and maybe just when I'm ready for it. And, uh, and so sometimes we struggle and then we come around. Others of us, God has to write an entire novel, uh, entire chapter. He has to basically produce, um, volumes and volumes of commentary of speaking through you to you through the church or through the word of God or through books or through circumstances or through your prayer times or whatever that might be. And then we finally get it maybe days or weeks or months or years after. And then we finally obey. But that gap time between when you are here of the word and a doer of the word and every parent recognizes this just on a practical level. Uh, we don't necessarily judge our children's maturity by how many books they've read or um, what their IQ uh, number is if they've taken an IQ test. We don't necessarily judge their spiritual maturity by um, how popular they are, how good they are at sports, um, what kind of grades they get at school. I mean, those things are all wonderful things to see uh, when parents see that in their children. But I think most parents would agree that the best definition of seeing if your child is mature in their character is how long it takes that child to obey their parents when their parents tell them to do something. And some children, they're very good at that. Um, I have very obedient children. Darcy, Keenan, Ethan, uh, myself and Lorraine were very proud of them. Um, but I remember myself as a child, I, I wouldn't always obey, you know, and I, I had to learn the hard way, uh, not just from my parents, but from, uh, from God as well. And so being hearers and doers of the word, um, I think the way it works is when you um, choose to obey, the Lord will bless. He will sanctify you. He will strengthen you. He will uh, 
instill in your life the joy and the peace and the goodness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes when you're keeping in step with the Spirit by obeying God's word. Uh, I want to give two examples of of, uh, just what what does this look like in in real life? And these are conversations I have had uh, in my own marriage, in this first example at least, as well as with people in the church, even outside of our church. And so um, this example is not necessarily any one uh, circumstance. It's kind of a compilation of a bunch of circumstances. But um, sometimes couples marriage who are married come to me and uh, there's, there's a, a rift in their marriage and there's an argument. And, you know, it can be any number of topics, but... Um, um, and they'll come and they'll say, hey, what do we need to do? I'm really upset with this other person. And I'll listen to them and I'll be asking, okay, what does the Lord want me to say? What does he want me to do here? And it will start to remind me of even some disagreements I've had with Lorraine over the years and uh, how we've tried to resolve it. And um, I, it reminds me uh, of times in my own marriage where, um, you know, Lorraine and I will sometimes argue. Every every marriage does, I'm sure. Um Billy Graham or, or, you know, whatever pastor you might fill in the blank uh, has had arguments in their marriage. And sometimes when Lorraine and I argue, and I, I try and remember this when I counsel couples, is uh, the Holy Spirit will, will um, remind me of certain scriptures as we're arguing. And I think this is how it works between the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and Christ, is as we're arguing, the Holy Spirit will bring to my mind certain scriptures um, and we had an argument uh, not too long ago. And as I was listening, I was remembering these scriptures. Um, Proverbs chapter 12 says that the, um, the vexation, the anger of a fool is known at once, but a wise person ignores an insult. And so I was remembering that scripture as we were talking or as I was listening in this um, conversation with Lorraine. Proverbs chapter 15 says that a soft word turns away wrath. But a harsh word uh, elicits anger. A final proverb that the Lord was bringing to my mind is Proverbs 18, where it says, He who speaks before listening, it is to his folly and shame. And so I think that's what happens when we become hearers of the word and doers of the word, is that the Holy Spirit brings into our mind scriptures um, from the word of God, and we, he, that we have become hearers of. And then as we choose to do it, to obey it, we become more like Christ. He makes us more like Christ. And uh, that's always a good thing. And I have found that when I've remembered those Proverbs, that uh, to ignore an insult, to give a soft answer, and to listen before I speak, it's always gone a lot better in my marriage. And that's really what I counsel other couples as well. And so... Um, um, I think that's very important uh, to remember. And there's a second example as well about being a hearer and doer of the word. And that is, um, I've, I've ministered to many people over the years that have come out uh, from the LGBT community and just really wrestled either as professing Christians or as those who are outside of the Christian faith and are thinking about um, coming to church. And what I found is this, is that um, I, I believe in a traditional view. I believe in what the Bible teaches is that marriage is between, uh, was between Adam and Eve. And so marriage should be 
between a man and a woman, any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman is considered sin. And that is open to the judgment of the Lord. But the, the Lord can forgive. The Lord can restore. The Lord can, um, through Christ, bring us to faith. And there can be reconciliation between us and the Lord. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote that in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. He said, uh, many of you were former murderers and adulterers and homosexuals, but you have come to faith. And so flee sexual immorality. But um, I found myself in counseling situations related to this issue um, during the coronavirus event. And uh, oftentimes what happens is people who are professing believers, who uh, are choosing to at the same time engage in um, an active lifestyle in the LGBTQ community, will read literature that will say to them that the traditional view, that the view that the Church of Jesus Christ has held for 2,000 years um, that's recorded down in the Bible, and even thousands of years before that um, in the Old Testament, that those traditional views are antiquated. Um, people will read books by um, uh, uh, scholars and the LGBTQ community that are saying that these views in the Bible are antiquated, they're wrong, and they need to be reinterpreted, or we have had a, a misinterpretation over the centuries, really over the millennia, of what these writers were really saying. And so it's really a spurious view. It's outside of the context of church history. It's really outside the context of what God has clearly revealed to us in God's word. But I'll, I'll listen to that. And, and what I'm mostly interested in as I dialogue is, can this person clearly articulate what the Bible is saying in the first place? And I asked them, can you, can you um, share with me? Why don't you teach me? Um, teach me what the Bible is saying and, and where it says it. And I want to hear, do they, have they been a hearer of God's word from a source that's outside the Bible? Have they even been a hearer of God's word? Do they, do they understand at face value what God's word is saying in the first place? And secondly, I want to hear from them, um, do you understand the arguments that are being made by these authors that are re you're reading as well? And uh, before I say to them, you know, this is right and this is wrong. I want to hear what is their understanding? What have they actually heard first? What is their um, starting play, place? Uh, and it reminds me that if you're going to be a hearer of God's word and a doer of God's word, you're going to hear from God in his word or you're going to hear a word from the world. And everyone is going to choose to obey one or the other. And what I found is that people who choose to listen to the, the words of the world, to hear the wor world over and above hearing the word of the Lord and being a doer of that word, instead of being, uh, and instead choose to be a hearer of the, uh, the words of the world and be a doer of that, people who choose that, uh, it doesn't really begin with looking at all the evidence, it begins in the heart. Because what happens is that if your heart has chosen to disobey, if your heart want, is um, prone and uh, has a predisposition to want to live um, a rebellious life, if your heart has chosen to say, 
you know what? I am choosing to go on my own no matter what I find here. Um, you'll find people that will agree with you. You'll search out people who you want to hear, whose words will validate where your heart is primarily at. And I think it's very important as we have a conversation about being hearers and doers of the word that we understand it's not just about the, the arguments of truth. It is about where the person's heart is in the beginning. And if their heart is open to the word of God that's active and living, and if their heart is open to being a doer of the word, not just a hearer, I think there's great hope. But if the human heart has become hardened by the world or hardened or twisted by the world, um, then it's very easy to look for people that will justify uh, where you already want to go. And so James is reminding us here today that we can't just be hearers of the word. Um, as your pastor, I want you to know that um, this has been a very uh, difficult time spiritually for so many of us. We feel dislocated, disconnected. We're uh, dis this disruption, this dispersion of the church. Uh, I haven't been able to see most of you uh, for since, what, March. And myself and the other elders at this church, we pray for you, we care for you. Um, we've called many of you and connected with one of, many of you, and we know that you're struggling. We know that um, some of you are struggling in your spiritual walks in terms of uh, you, you felt you were walking in a strong way, and then over the past four or five or six months, you really struggled. And we want you to know that God is... God is for you. That the best thing that you can do in your spiritual walk is to allow the Holy Spirit to convict your heart, to encourage your heart, to go into God's word. And as God speaks to you through his word, be a doer of it, obey it, and trust the Lord. And he will start to change your heart. He will start to renew your mind. And he will start to um, produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. And um, you will see, uh, that, that's what I think James means when he says, you will be blessed. If you are um, a doer who acts, you will be blessed in your doing. And you will be re-reminded that um, the word of the Lord is good. That the work of the Lord in your life is good. But the word of the Lord and the work of the Lord um, will not produce the goodness of the Lord in your life if you're simply a hearer of the word of God and not a doer. And so will you make that commitment this week? Will you make the commitment to say, Lord, what, what are you revealing to me? I want to pray for this, Lord. What are you revealing to me that I can obey and just trust you? And I believe that as you, as you follow what the Lord is revealing to you in his word and you apply it in your life, whether it's in your relationships, at home, in your workplace, whether it's um, uh, how the choices you make when you're alone, whether it's um, the good that you choose to give yourself to, whether it's um, um, just kind of dispelling certain um, idols in your life and saying, Lord, I need help, but I need to trust you. Let me be a doer, not just a hearer. Whatever that might be, the Lord will bless that. And, um, and I think good things will come your way. And so let's commit to that. Will you commit to that this week, being a hearer, and a doer of God's work and trust that he will bless you.